The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. Welcome to the Quirky Dog Podcast, inspired by some of the quirkiest dogs you can ever imagine and the owners who love them. This podcast is brought to you by the quirky couple themselves, Scott and Jess Williams. Their aim is to educate and entertain. Here's Scott and Jess. All right. Well, I'm going to intro today. Keep it a little bit different. (laughs) Hope you guys all had a good 4th of July. Has anyone ever lit one of their farts on fire? Please comment in the in the bottom. Let us know. That was a childhood favorite around the 4th. It's becoming the farting podcast. Well, Last week was pooping. It's farting again this week. I'm just trying to build an audience. <laughs> we do hope that everybody had a good 4th of July weekend. You kept all those dogs safe. Um, hopefully, uh, we helped you out a little bit with re-uploading that how to keep the dogs safe during fireworks and fear of loud noises because that was an episode we did a few years ago but to today, give you guys some tips. We're going to talk about who's training who. Yeah, it should be who's training whom, but that's a little whom. too proper for us. So yeah. we're just doing who's training who. And my quirky tip today, you got to be the pig person, even though you were the intro guy. Well, now. Hang on one second. My quirky tip today is be honest with yourself on this one, you guys. It's so frequent that people will like take offense, whether a training friend points this out or a professional trainer or a spouse or something else about like, hey, like the dog just got you to do that. But be honest with yourself about these examples. And we have these all the time in our own household, right? Like the dog does something, totally gets our attention, totally changes our course, totally was in control. And it's okay. It's not that it should never happen. But who is training who is an important thing to really take a deep dive into in your household because if the dog is training you more than you're training the dog there may be some fallout well my dog uh, jimmy is nine now and i'm proud to say i'm fully trained (laughs) it's taken time it's taken time but he's been very patient with me i don't know what i'll do without very patient with me (laughs) and uh, he barely lifts an eyebrow and i jump yeah yeah he beeps the horn during scott's evals from to come back to the car he does a lot of training and jimmy is a great example of that jimmy is constantly like hey dad pet me like barking running around like doing all these things and that's okay like it happens but just be conscious of when it happens so scott and i have different lists here we like to try to do a little preparation here was i supposed to make a list oh stop it One thing that um, is really important to me is if the dog is activating you, right? So this could be for attention, um, to play a certain game, for retrieving. That's a really great example. Like a dog that loves to retrieve, they're just throwing the ball at you, throwing the ball at you, throwing the ball at you. And there's no harm in that, right? Like they want to do something, it's fine. But if they are constantly activating you and then now you're changing course and changing your plan and, you know, interacting with them, with their game, with their retrieving by petting them or something else, they are inadvertently training you. So be very conscious of that. Well, I'll give a couple of examples. Okay, here we go. We're ready. And these are clients and friends. I had a client that would her dog would go stare at the freezer at the fridge? They had one of the freezers on the bottom of the refrigerator instead of the side by side. It was the bottom section, and she told me when the dog stares at the bottom of the freezer, or she has to give the dog an ice cube. <laughs> that was how she he got her to open up the freezer and give her an ice cube. Another one is my buddy. Uh, his dogs will bark at him at five p.m. Yeah. time to eat, yeah. but that's now turned into three thirty. <laughs> The dog's frigging to say, hey, you know, let's go. I'm hungry now. And they start barking. He's on the couch. They just start barking at him. And he's, yeah. and he's understandably trying to reason with them. 
It's not five o'clock yet, guys. <laughs> they don't seem to care. Yeah, we got to wait. Keep barking. But so it gives them a little, a little, uh, little, yeah, a little snack before dinner. Yeah. No, but these are things that they become patterns, right? And it's not, again, that it's an issue. But if you're literally like sitting down to do work on the computer and now the dog's barking to go outside and you've stopped doing that and you've gotten up to let the dog outside then the dog is controlling what you're doing. You know what I mean? This stay-at-home stuff and everyone on these Zoom calls, they've started to realize how much like, hey, we got to get my dog under control here because I'm on a call with six other people. And it's starting to be unacceptable now if you're actually at home and your dog is controlling things. And noise is a frequent way of controlling. Scratching is a frequent way of controlling. Leaning up on you, asking to be pet is a frequent way of controlling. And again, the retrieve thing. We have dogs that love to retrieve. We're all about that. Like drive shit into us, drive shit back to us like yes 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 it's a great way to get their energy out we have drivey dogs if the dog is constantly throwing something at us my big phrase is go play by yourself I'm trying to think what you say um get away from me <laughs> I don't know I'm trying to think what you say when it <laughs> go happens. lay down yeah go away go yeah I say go play by yourself but we're we're changing the narrative there so it's not the dog starting the game. Yes, we love retrieving with our dogs. But if all of a sudden, you know, I'm holding a friend's baby and my dog's throwing something on me, no, I'm not going to start throwing the ball to the dog then. If the dog is constantly in charge of what it wants you to do and how to get your attention and how to activate you, the dog is training you. You're not training the dog. That's just the bottom line. Yeah. And if the dog was indifferent to you, then I would be encouraging that type of interaction. But yeah. more often than not, it's a dog Rarely that is are the dogs pushy, different these pushy, days. pushy. Yeah. Well, some of these rescues are really They can be, but it's not even feral. so much that like the dog has to go lay on a bed or be on a place. Like the dog should be able to coexist with you, but not be trying to get you to do something or trying to get your attention or trying to activate you in some way, shape or form. And so many people think it's endearing and sweet and everything else. Like, oh, but he wants this. And oh, but isn't that really cool because he wanted to do this with me? No, if you're at this like rest point, there needs to be a designated rest point where we're not doing things and the dog isn't starting something up again. And if you can't control that, that is an issue and the dog is training you rather than you training the dog. That's the bottom line. What do you have on your list? Well, in closing, with regard to toys, um, you know, they're like kids on Christmas morning. I say this, I use this analogy all the time and people are like, oh my God, it's just like that. But I've never heard him say this once, by the way. Well, it's like the kids open all their toys, they get all these toys and then they're bored. Like three hours later, is there anything else to open up? And they have all these new things. They don't care about anything. And I see these dogs with big baskets filled, brimming with toys because the dog doesn't like any of them. So they keep (laughs) buying a new toy. A dog likes it for five minutes, doesn't like that toy. So what I tell people is get rid of all the toys and have interactive toys. When you take the toy out, that means we're going to have fun together. We're doing something together. You're initiating the play. It's much more fun for the dog because the dog wants a relationship with you. They don't want to be just, here, have a toy and go away. They don't want to do that. They want to have that relationship with you, but make it a constructive relationship that you initiate. That's the difference. Yeah, controlling access to resources. And the toy thing, if you have a really drivey toy dog, they'll first throw it at you and then they'll throw it at you and then they'll be barking at you and then they'll be bouncing off you. Like if the end of that is fine, I'm going to throw it. That behavior, of course, is going to happen the next rep, too. Why wouldn't it? They got what they wanted. So that's a good one. I love the Christmas analogy. It reminds analogy. me of Trixie the other day. We had, <laughs> a, we had a client over for... Uh, our our for lady a, that was on the Wavoto podcast. Yeah, we had a stir fry, and then we had a little bonfire, and they had their corgi over, yeah. who loves to retrieve. And she worked the crap out of me. I, I loved it. 
She's pushing stuff at me. I, I, she got me up off the chair, walking out to the backyard, throwing, throwing retrieves for her. I was just so pleased that she could get it, come back, give it to me. Let's do it again. It's like, this is awesome. But even her, she was a good example. You were like, all right, that's enough. Go yeah, yeah, she would and just settle down. She would chill, and then she'd reactivate them, and they'd start up again. All right, what else is on your list? Because your that's list That's it. Is I'm ready to go home. Me. Oh, my gosh. Let's we're not even 10 here. minutes in. Okay. Does, well... Does your dog start to drag you toward the house so you let go of the leash and let them run to the door yeah, after you go is, for a walk? This is a common one, and people don't think much about it. Well, they think, oh, the dog wants to go home. When the is, dog sees the house, we great. know where the yeah. dog is going to go, so we'll yeah. reward that pulling by letting go of the leash and yeah. letting them storm the front door. Yeah. And then they wonder why they can't walk into the house when they have groceries and their dog on a leash at the that, same time. And also, these are also people that frequently have pulling on the leash. Maybe they don't have a very strong recall with the dog. Like they're rationalizing this whole situation of like, oh no, the dog is good. It's going home. It wants to go home. Yay, it loves to go home. Well, pulling and then letting go of the leash and the dog running to the door is not helping your pulling problem. And if the dog does not have a strong recall and the neighborhood cat is out in the front yard and now is running after the cat... Two reasons that that doesn't work outside of just being able to carry groceries into your house properly. So if your dog is like, oh my gosh, I really want to go. This happens frequently with off-leash hiking too, right? You get out of the car, the dog's like, I love this trail. I'm so excited to go to this trail. And if it's a place where you're supposed to have your dog on leash, maybe it's leashed the first part of it before you know that you're away from the rangers and then you take the dog off leash. If the dog pulls the entire time until it's taken off leash to do its off-leash hike, of course, the next time the dog gets there, it's going to think, I better pull. I'm going to pull harder because I want to get off leash quicker. So if pulling gets you to release the leash and the dog gets to run to the door freely or pulling gets the dog to now be off leash and have all this freedom, the dog is training you in those situations. Yeah. And it's and it really shows up on that rare occasion when you can't drop the leash. And yeah. that's when the dog really starts pulling and getting frustrated with you because... They've learned that when I pull, you drop the leash. This is my time to do what I want to do. And it happens with daycares a lot too, right? I mean, pulling on the leash is a common thing that we have with our pet dog clients. And people are excited. The dog wants to go to daycare. Yes, it's great. The dog loves daycare. His friends are there, everything else. If the dog is pulling every single morning to go into the daycare to play with his friends, he is now getting rewarded for that behavior. So be conscious of it. And let's conversely talk about the laying down on the street or the stopping because that's a pretty big one on leash too. Yeah. Well, if the dog decides they don't want to walk. Especially they, a big dog. They stop. Yeah. And then people beg and coax, come on, boy, let's, let's, or they wait for 20 minutes or, or they, whatever. Or the dog like, could lay down, roll over on its back. Like, it or they turn, they turn and go back home. Yeah. The dog wants to go down this road. You've decided you're going off on this road. And they say, no, 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 we're not going down there. We're yeah. going over here. So you go, okay. And then yeah. you turn around and you walk the other way around. And uh, it's just not healthy for the dog to have that kind of control over their owners. Yeah, completely. And or their parent, if you want to call it and that. And that when the dog is training you in these types of situations, especially if you have some obedience issues or especially if you have some behavioral issues and everything else, you need to know that this is not helping your cause. Like this is not helping your reactivity. This is not helping your listening and everything else. Just be conscious of it. And then once you're conscious of it, think to yourself, how can I change it? Can I change it? Because if you can't change it, then I would suggest that you have someone come in to help you. Because if the dog is truly controlling the course of the walk, the length of the walk, all of these things so much, that's not really an enjoyable walk if I'm a part of it, as far as I'm concerned. I want to be an equal part of what we're doing and at least be able to make decisions if and when I need to. Well, I think that where it shows up, a lot of times people, you know, acquiesce, if you will. Oh, good one, good one. 
uh, because it doesn't really make much difference. Yeah. Like you, you're going to go down here. The dog wants to go over there. Uh, what Whatever, the hell? We'll, we'll go just there. go down there. Yeah. The problem is when you need to go into the vet's office or you need to do something that you need to do with this dog and then they pull that crap again. Oh, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to go this way. And you're like, oh, no, no, we can't. And they're like, oh, yeah, this is what we always do. When I go and I go over here, this is what we do. And then that becomes, especially with a dog who's physically strong, a more intense pull that way. Now you can't control the dog, yeah. It it becomes a stronger reaction, especially if it's something that they truly don't want to do. All right, when we get back, we're going to go to break super quick. And when we get back, we're going to do more of who's training whom. Want to keep up with all the latest from the Quirky Dog Podcast like me and Murphy here? Then make sure you head on over to the YouTube channel and subscribe. Or if you prefer to listen to the madness, go on over to iTunes or Spotify and follow the Quirky Dog Podcast. And hey, while you're there, leave a rating and review and let them know what you think of the show. Until then, keep it quirky. All right, we're okay. comparing our notes. Give yeah, us a yeah. moment. We got to make a longer commercial so we can conference more. <laughs> well, we prepared at length, at length for this. But I mean, there's so many things. This podcast there. is like the most academic Scott's ever done in his whole life. All right. Well, one uh, example I came up with is when the dog's laying on the couch and and you want the dog to move over so you can sit on the couch and the dog growls at you. So you say, "Yeah, it's no big deal. I'll sit on the so I'll sit on the easy chair instead." Yeah. And uh, so the dog is training you to leave him alone. When they're laying there and the way they've uh, taught you to leave them alone is by growling. Yeah. And then that gets bigger and bigger and this and happens bigger. sometimes with like going to bed, right? Like you just want to get the dog, come on, let's go to bed. And sometimes people back away and they say, oh, okay, you can just sleep on the couch or something else. We've had it be so extreme. And I'm sure we've said this example on the podcast before where we've had couples talk about if someone gets up in the middle of the night to pee, the dog then gets on the bed and growls. And then the spouse actually cannot come and re-enter the bed. Like he actually then, or I don't know if it's a he or she, how it went. But then that person leaves, sleeps in a spare bedroom, sleeps on the couch or something else. Like in that situation, especially when we're talking about that level of aggression, the dog is controlling the situation. The dog is training you guys. Like, nope, I want to be here. I want to sleep here. And you'll see it with these relationships sometimes. Like it happens with Vital actually. So like if Scott's going to go push on my back, I have a spot in my back that I often have him put his elbow in and it helps me and loosen up the tightness there. Vital will be, if she's loose or on a bed or whatever else, she'll bark. She'll be like, oh, you're touching my back. You know what I mean? Like we can hold hands on the couch and all this, but for some reason she's like, I don't like that. A lot of couples that hug or kiss or show some sort of affection, the dog is all of a sudden getting in between that. And at first it's kind of like- That's why I've become so much less affectionate towards you if you're wondering over the past (laughs) few years. Now now you have a good excuse. No, but (laughs) really, so if these types of things are happening at first, it's like, oh, this is cute. Like the dog just wants to do a family hug and stuff, but that can develop into like- now some resource guarding of the person, like uh, it can become a bigger thing. So be careful when you see those types of things that you're addressing it. Like if you can't hug your significant other without the dog going crazy, think about putting the dog in the crate and hugging, like deal with it. Like don't just let that go because these things can sometimes spiral. And really the point of the dog on the bed growling and then the other partner or spouse having to sleep somewhere else. I mean, that's pretty extreme. That can get pretty crazy. And I will say this, that, um, and I just told this to a client the other day, and it's an old, an old adage, if you will, but don't break the rules until you know the rules, you know, and just understand what the dog is doing. Because there's going to be times you get home, you're feeling like crap, you've had a rough day, and the dog comes over to activate you to play with a toy. And it's probably the best thing that's happened to you all friggin' day. <laughs> And you take advantage of that, you go play with the dog. The dog gets you off the couch when otherwise you would sit there feeling like crap. 
but just be aware of the relationship and what's going on so that it's not unconscious on your part that this dog is making you jump through hoops all the time. Yeah, you know and what I mean? This is not a one size fits all or it has to be a hundred percent this way. And like I said, I mean, I could come up with dozens of examples in our house where our dogs control different things and maybe we let it go or we think it's funny or anything else. Vital also coughs. She behaviorally coughs. Scott loves this one. Like if I'm busy doing something else, she'll... <coughs> And then she'll I'm be like, when she's in her crate. Yeah, yeah. She'll start oh, yeah, coughing. Yeah, like if I'm nearby, she'll be like, ah, and, and then. And Jess will jump. <laughs> oh, are you jump. okay, baby? I do not. Do you think she's sick? I do not oh, jump. And I've like never that said. friggin' dog do has you got you. I think she's sick. But the thing. Did she eat something? <laughs> I did not. Oh, do maybe not. she's got a skewer I in do her not. throat. Shut up. I've never said <laughs> any of those things. But these are things that occur in our household, and at least we know it, right? And I'm not rushing in and then rubbing her throat or something else. But it's very behavioral. I'm there. She wants my attention. She coughs. Sometimes I'll smile. Sometimes I might say, oh, knock it off. Sometimes maybe I do want to go for a walk and I let her out shortly after. It's not that like, oh my God, this is happening and this is a problem. It's just being aware of it. One thing that I really want to touch on, do you have anything else to say about the I would say that, um, well, uh, with regard to Vital, (laughs) I think that she's kind of psychic also. Honestly, because she can be in her crate in another room, no view of us. And I'll just put my arm around Jess's, uh, like this, dog will start frigging barking. I'll take I, my is, hand away, the dog stops. She, she is a little, like, if well, I'm feeding dogs She's very, too, very in tune with her no, mommy. it really is true, because if I'm feeding dogs, I mean, you can't even hear the bowls. And it's just, like, my intention of, like, opening the fridge to feed or, like, tump, uh, like she knows I'm, like, well, touching the meat. Sound. No, it's not even, yeah, there is something weird about her. She's she's a little bit different. Okay. And she trains us a lot. She not trains in a good me way. a lot. Shut up. She's We're going to thank favorite. the breeder for that. Stop it. I love my little pup. Okay. So one thing I really want to touch on is if you are trying to use positive reinforcement training um, as your main, like, More power to avenue. you. We yeah, love you. No, I, I'm all about it, right? Like, go, go, go. If you are allowing your dog to refuse food in a situation where it's very high drive because there's toys around or something else, or possibly refuse tugging because it's time to eat dinner and, you know, there's chicken on the ground. And it depends what your venue is, right? If you're going to sports, I'm really big on food and toys, like all the way around. Like I want my dog to have both things. If you are making a conscious choice and saying, oh, my dog can't eat here because it's too excited. I say this a lot about the decoy. Cousteau is a perfect example, Scott's Malinois, of a dog that has been and could be and would be a dog that's way too aroused to eat in front of a decoy because he loves to bite. He was bred to bite. That's his A number one activity. If I offer him a piece of cheese and he says, no, thanks, I'm good, and spits that on the floor, I'm not then going to allow him to progress into the exercise and bite. I make the dogs literally eat vegetables in front of the decoy. I'm a crazy person, but that's the extent I want. It's not a control thing. It's that we haven't want... got very far in dog sports, but oh, we'll stop it. Cousteau's <laughs> a ring too. He's a great dog. I'm just kidding. But if if you have your goal being positive reinforcement training, not using tools to control behavior or whatever else, and you're allowing your dog to blow off food because it's over aroused by whatever's going on or because there's toys there, or you're allowing your dog to choose not to tug or retrieve or whatever in these certain instances, it's going to make your journey harder. So I do want to say that be conscious of when those things are happening. And I would suggest you come up with a plan of 
making that something that the dog can do. Just because it's at a Frisbee competition, it can still eat on the sidelines. Just because, like I said, you know, somebody's eating freaking, I don't know, what's a really savory thing you eat? Filet mignon or something, it should still tug. Happy meals. Yeah, (laughs) happy meals, whatever it is. (laughs) But be conscious of that. And and it goes for everything. For pet dogs, of course, whatever. It doesn't, your dog doesn't need to eat in every context and tug in every context and everything else. But if you have a sport dog and you are specifically trying to use, avoid using aversive tools, be very conscious of when you're making choices of, oh, it's okay, he or she just can't do that right now and I'm okay with that because it's hindering your ability to go farther in that sport later in our opinion. Yeah, it reminded me of uh, about 20 years ago, I was working with a trainer in Southern Cal. Her name was Julie Isles, great trainer. And she got this Malinois from Belgium, really aggressive. It was like a reject in Belgium because it had attacked a few people. She loved this kind of dog, you know? (laughs) So she's got the dog. She's doing bite work on me. And she's like, I'm going to make him eat chicken before he can bite. And the dog's looking at me like, I'm going to friggin' kill you, you know? And she's holding chicken in front of the dog's face. No, take the chicken. And dog knew he couldn't bite me unless he got the chicken. So he was just attacking the chicken. You know? And I'm like, Julie, I think you better let him bite pretty soon. Because the friggin' dog is looking at her like, if you put another piece of chicken in my face, I'm going to friggin' kill you. escalating. But, I mean, in the same vein as the bite work, I went to a Forrest Mickey seminar, I don't know, a decade ago when he was out here. And, like, he had a really hard journey with one of his dogs that he was uh, training, I think, for Mondio, where the dog just wanted the decoy, right? He didn't want to tug with the handler. He's like, I'm here to bite the decoy. Screw you. He spent weeks if not months to get the dog interacting with him because the personal relationship you have with your dog and a sport relationship transfers into everything. And the more tools you have to be able to reinforce your dog and build value into you, the better the long-term sport relationship. Yeah. So, if you don't work through that stuff, you're just not going to do well with the dog and the sport. It's, it's going to fall apart. Yeah, it's going to be an issue. It, it, you'll, you'll regret it later on down the road. And we're just saying that based on our years, our years of experience. What else do you have on your list? You That's it. I'm done. Ones. Let's wrap it up. Oh my gosh. This what is else why he can't be here. Um, okay. Vocalize excessively when bathing, doing nails in, in the car. I like this one. Well, I would say vocalizing even in obedience. Uh, we've had some dogs and that we've had in for training that, uh, you know, I'll, I'll pop the leash and the dog will scream, ah! you know, and I'm like, wow, this dog is super sensitive. And you're like, that dog isn't sensitive. <laughs> the dog's, working, the dog's yeah. working me. Yeah. And it's true because I'll, you know, I'll see the dog work with Jess and never vocalizes. And that same thing will happen when the dog goes back to the owner where I can heal the dog. The dog's fine. I can pop the leash. The dog will sit take a treat, like no problem. Give the leash to the owner. The dog, the person just picks a little control and the dog goes, ah! yeah, and the people are like, oh my God. Vocalizing oh. And the dog stops. So they they him, stop yeah. working because the dog is, seems upset, hurt. Yeah. Oh my God. Vocalizing you know? has previously gotten So they've trained, of, a lot of dogs before. learn yeah. to get out of stuff by vocalizing. Yeah, or fighting. You know, you're doing the nails. They're just fighting back and forth and Reminds all that Reminds me stuff. of when I was a little kid and my dad said, well, I'll give you something to cry about <laughs> if you really... <laughs> We don't, so, we don't oh no. do that same I'm, thing. I'm good. I'm good. We don't do that same thing with animals. That's but true. if you're sitting there, you can just see the parallels. And it happens a lot of time with e-collar training too, right? You tap the dog on 10 for weeks at a time, no big deal. You give the leash to the owner, you tap the dog on 10, it acts like literally level seven on an invisible fence, like out of this world. Because something that's happened between the relationship with that dog, and we see it when we're training the dog sometimes, because the male and the dog can have a different relationship than the female and the dog or whatever else. Something in that dog's past has allowed 
a vocalization or uh, rithering out of some kind of position. Yeah. Stops or, a nail trim. Yeah, stops this. Screaming stops that. bloody murder has gotten them to get out of something before, so they ut- utilize it again. And yes, of course, if the dog is screaming in pain, like be conscious of that. Know what that is, but know what you're looking at also. If the dog, you know. And then everything stops and you drop to your knees, check on the dog. That is a way that the dog starts to train you rather than you training the dog. And so I use the analogy of a child that is running and falls and skins their knee. Yeah. And then they quick look back at their mom or the, whoever is <laughs> taking care of them. And if that person's like, come react. on, let's go. Yeah. And they like, yeah, they get up and brush it off. But if the mom goes running over, oh my God, honey, you okay? Then the kid starts crying. Then it becomes a bigger thing. And then sit on mommy's lap for the rest of the afternoon and I'll give you lollipops. Yeah. No, and it's, <laughs> you know? it's not, it doesn't have to be a humorous thing or an extreme thing or something well, it's, else, it's, but you have to be conscious of it, that it's happening and, and you can just see it. So, and, and don't be offended. This is why my quirky tip was be honest about it. If you're, you know, partner, your spouse, or even your kid, half the time the kids are the most honest, like freaking people in the room. They're like, Hey mom, you did that. Like the dog just like, they, they see it differently. If somebody calls you out on that, rather than be like, no, that's not what happened and that's not the way it was, just maybe think to yourself, well, was that the chain of events? Did the dog do this and then I changed course and did this and then it ended up getting a cookie anyway? However the situation plays out, be honest about it because the more that you're conscious of it, the more that you can get a handle on it. And you may not need to get a handle on it. But the reason we're bringing this up is these types of examples frequently happen with people that have reactive dogs, that have dogs that are biting, that have dogs with extreme anxiety, that have dogs that can't go to the vet. Really, really extreme situations. So knowing how your day-to-day life goes and your hour-to-hour with this dog and everything else will maybe change that whole entire dynamic. Yeah, and I'll use the example that you've brought client dogs to the vet that have been aggressive, that have showed all kinds of fear, yeah. that have been terrible at the vet. Yeah. They go with Jess, and they're like little soldiers. <laughs> they sit there, Jess is opening their mouth, yeah. picking up their tail, yeah. and they just sit there, and everyone's yeah. like, oh my God, I can't believe it. It's not because the dog is afraid of Jess. It's just because the dog understands, oh, I can't do all that bullshit with Jess, so I just have to sit here. Yeah. And with if they can get people to back off, and it's quite often it's just tied into the intelligence of the dog. They're so smart. They've learned all these little tricks yeah. to get out of stuff, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's not, it's not hopeless. It's okay. It happens. Like, we admit that it happens with us. Like, we see it. But just be aware of it. And even something as simple as like journaling about some of these little things. But if there are daily patterns where your dog is looking at your freezer and you're running over to pull the ice cube out and that's just happening. And then if you don't pull the ice cube out, the dog is now scratching at the freezer and ruining the finish on the freezer and everything else. That's escalating into more than a dog owner relationship should, in our opinion. So just know about it. Come up with a way to change it and know who is training who at every point in your relationship. I think we touched on it all. You got anything else to say? No, no. It's it's good to know. And if you only have one dog and if it's your first dog, there's no way you're going to know which is right, which is not. But just kind of like Jess said, just be... Try to observe more and be less emotional. And even with a professional, I have to say this, even if you're working with a professional, half the gosh darn time, your dog could be training that professional. Like, I'm not saying that we're the best dog trainers in the world by any stretch of the imagination, but I see a lot of crazy crap happen and we hear a lot of crazy stuff that happens. Your dog could be training the professional. So just know, why did I take that action? Who took the first action? And what how did that end up? What, how did that whole situation end to really know how to nitpick apart some of these issues? Okay. It sounds right. good to me. You guys stay safe out there. Enjoy your summer. 
We will see you. We got some more fun guests the rest of summer. And in the meantime, keep, keep it quirky, it quirky. guys. <laughs> The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.